Brains. Chris, it is November. Brains? Today, we're talking about zombie movies from Leica. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and zombies. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're investigating the world of Paranorman, a 2012 film that is somehow more relevant in 2020. Maybe prescient, maybe accidental. Um, we're recording this with, uh, I watched this movie right before the election and Chris has watched it after the election. I think we both have different takeaways <laughs> for the end <laughs> given that. Um, so I suspect today's discussion will be at some point turned towards spoilers for this eight year old movie as we discuss the ending. So we'll provide a spoiler warning for this old movie at some point. <laughs> but in our, in our start, in our spoiler free zone or Spoiler safe zone. Um, what do we want to call this? Uh, like the spoiler free zone, I think is what we normally call mm-hmm. this area. We'll we'll talk a little bit about what this movie is, who this movie's for, what this movie does, and then we'll get into our spoiler zone and pick it apart a little bit more. You yeah. know, just rip off some arms, rip off some legs, just dive into the brain and. Nosh on that a little bit. Less meat and potatoes, more like brain and eyeballs. Yeah, probably. Mm. Meat. I'm hungry. Potatoes. <laughs> it's it's going to be one of those episodes, I guess. So, <laughs> Mackenzie, Paranorman. Did you see this film in 2012 when it I did. was first released? Yes, yes. This is my my first Leica movie. This made me a uh, Leica Studios stan, if you will, as the internet calls it. Um, I think a lot of... I'm trying to understand like the Leica in mainstream media relationship in retrospect, but my understanding is a lot of people saw Coraline, their first studio release under the Leica brand. And a lot of people love that, have fond memories of that. And then like that audience never really came back to other future Leica movies. <laughs> it's Question a lot mark? like, I think I feel like it's a lot like our audiences. They find us through <laughs> one thing and then they don't come back when we talk about other things. Yeah, because that's fair. Coraline does uh, look like it is a lot of inspiration from while not being a ripoff of nightmare before Christmas. And that, that film still has uh, an audience for some reason, not Coraline. I get that one nightmare before Christmas. Hot take from an animation podcast, but it's fine. <laughs> Not my favorite. Um, but yeah, like I guess his... I think that the the emotional tone and emotional arcs of their movies have been all very similar to Coraline. Hmm. Um, the marketing, I don't think, has always played that. And I think that the genres that they play in are different, whereas Coraline was like darks and blues and kind of... Adam's family color palette. Paranorman is very um, bright. It's like, um, I don't know, like Deer Hunter meets like 1970s B-horror movie in color palette. Yeah, it's it's somehow muted and totally bright. It, it's like they um, animated a 1930s um, horror film poster. Like not the film, but like the posters, which are... The muted major colors, but like reds and greens really popping. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's just gorgeous to look at. Um, and all their movies have been so... I mean, it's, they definitely have like a visual style. I think when you see a trailer, you go, oh, that's a Leica movie. <laughs> um, but within that style, that house style, they have so much um, variation in what they do with that. I think it's the the texture is the house mm. style, but the colors, the lines, um, the environments are all wildly different for all the movies outside of that. 
because they have to speak to that particular world that they're creating for that particular story. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. I think at some point I watched like a 10 minute documentary about the tassels of the carriage and the missing link and how they animated that because I was so fascinated by the moving (laughs) tassels in the carriage in the stop animation movie. (sighs) And they're, they're meticulous. I think it's the best way to describe what they do Mm. visually. And I certainly don't know the most about what they do visually. Um, but it's really cool if you stop and think about it at all, because for the most part, it is not computer animation in any of their movies. And it's computer aided, of course, in compositing some stuff. But a lot of what's moving is stop motion animated, uh, revolutionized through the use of 3D printing. And they kind of pioneered a lot of that. And with uh, Paranorman, they really uh, perfected the mass production color 3D printing and I forget the statistic, but it's like 31,000 models of people were made for Paranorman so they could show all the emotions and stuff. And if you're not super familiar, what they have done, at least in the past, is they print like a main doll of a character that's posable, and they have different face plates, which is its inspiration for a horror movie in itself. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> they'll just interchange different face plates that they need on the character for different shots and scenes. Um, so the body can stay in one spot and all the emotions and mouth movement uh, is done just by snapping on and off things like Legos. And and the acting in this particular film is spot on. Like all the, it's really subtle, it's nuanced, um, it's really, I know I, I'm about to say the word broad, but I mean like there. <laughs> If it's broad when it needs to be, but it's it really is uh, has a large range, and the characters don't feel stilted in terms of what they're emoting. It feels very authentic and real, and I never questioned anything, and it just feels really precise. And That's clear. a good point. I, I think when we've talked about stop motion animation on this podcast most of the time in our history, it's been about like the Oscar nominated shorts, which I think there the stop motion animation is more indie. And it's almost as if that's kind of, I think where medium starts to blend into genre. And I think a lot of people, when you hear like stop motion animated short, you think, aha, yes, it'll be sad and emotional because the characters won't be animated very much and their faces won't move. So they're impenetrable in their emotions. And that's the point of this film. We will linger on this object that is a person in air quotes for like three seconds as we try to decipher their emotions. And that's not the case at all with Paranorman or Leica. Like it's full range of emotions. It's not impenetrable internal high-minded film thought emotion times. (laughs) It's um, a movie that is approachable in its emotions and is designed primarily for kids, but is rewarding for all audiences. Mm. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. How would you, before I, wait, before I ask that question, let me say this. I remember when Paranorman came out, like I enjoyed Coraline. um, And I remember when Paranorman was released and I saw the previews for it. And I was like, you know, my least favorite type of film is horror film. Like that's the genre that I could, you know, those internet memes, one of these has to go like comedy, rom-com, drama, horror, like hor- like no question, horror films can just go. That's fine. <laughs> um, so when I saw this, I was like, okay, so you're playing around with horror film, you know, paraphernalia and world and genre and playing in that, like I'm not really interested um and so to finally watch it and to see like oh you were doing something completely different it's another case and i think we talked about this when we were talking about a missing link of like a marketing not telling me what the story actually is or at least giving me a hint of the story deeper than here's some wacky action things that's not exactly what you're really going to get in the film but I don't, I don't know. 
I think old Leica marketing, like Paranorman, uh, was made for aesthetic. As I remember the very the Paranorman trailer very clearly, where it's just the song and shots from the film, but no, no voice acting, no voiceover, no narration. It was just the song and shots of the cool stuff that they did, which I think was... I don't remember the Box Trolls trailer that came next, but... The original Kubo trailers were the same thing of the While My Guitar Gently Weeps song and just shots of Kubo doing action stuff. And I think that worked more successfully for Kubo than it did for Paranorman. And then Missing Link, um, who'd they pay to do the distribution? Was that A24? I think Annapurna? So. Might have been Annapurna. One of the two. Annapurna, yeah. Annapurna. Um, who also, hilariously, their only other animated movie before that was uh, Anomalisa, which also had terrible trailers. <laughs> um, for different reasons. I think that Annapurna Marketing said, like, yes, we should totally broaden our audience. Let's distribute Missing Link as a kid's movie. And they tried, they basically were like, well, we don't know how to do this. Let's watch the Despicable Me trailer like 50 times and see what they did. <laughs> And I could be very wrong, but it feels very much like they're trying to market Missing Link like a more generic, trendy kids movie than having the depth that it did. And I think that we see how that failed and the movie is still good over the course of the past couple years of it bombed the box office. Almost no one saw it. And then it still got nominated for a bunch of awards and won some. Mm hmm. It's like one of the worst box office flops of all time, and it won the Golden Globe for Best Kids Picture still or something. Yeah, it was, and it's beautiful and evocative, but it's not what you were expecting. And I think expectation really sets everything. I feel like if they had shown, and I think we said this, <laughs> the same thing about Missing Link, if if they had shown us the first five minutes, you know, of the film or scale it down and chop up just the beginning few minutes and then turn that into the trailer, we would have had a better idea of what's actually going on. Yeah, It's like, oh, I see what this is actually about. It's not about ghosts and zombies. Those are just a medium or those are not a medium. Those are, those are just <laughs> a tool to tell the story that they're actually trying to get to the heart of. But yeah. And I'm, I'm all for surprise in the movie. I don't think that either of us is suggesting that they ruin the endings of any of these movies by no. telling you what it's really, really about. But mm -mm. The, mm -mm. the character arc is there at the beginning of the movie in the first scene of all their films. And you can do a trailer that kicks you off on that character arc, uh, just like any Disney animated movie these days or Pixar movie. Do we know a lot about Soul right now? No. Do we kind of know the direction it's going in? Yeah. Could you watch the trailer for Paranorman that they first released and have that same feeling and understanding? Absolutely not. No. So what is, uh, what is the story that we get spoiler free still that we would have gotten from a trailer of what is Paranorman about. Well, how I would describe it in a few sentences is um, Norman is a kid in like rural suburban Appalachia or so. Um, it's almost like a degraded 1950s small town. Like the idea of fitting in is still there, but it clearly isn't working for anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and Norman himself doesn't fit in very well. He doesn't have friends. He is a bully at school. His family doesn't get him. And especially his sister doesn't understand him. And on top of that, he can talk to ghosts. Um, and the ghosts seem to get him. He finds comfort in that. But of course, no one believes him about this. So he kind of hides this, doesn't share that with anyone and makes Norman retreat more and more into himself until Norman is faced with a challenge that makes him have to work with other people so that they have to get to know him and his talents and appreciate that and vice versa. He has to get to know those around him and learn how to share. Mm. 
And that challenge is zombies. Zombies attack. Zombies attack. That's like the end of the trailer for me. Right. Right. And you would probably say something that brings people together. And the next thing, ah, zombies. Paranormal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> October 2012. Yeah. And I think I, I'm really dating myself now for our Columbus <laughs> listeners. I think that I saw this. I was aware of it. But I was looking for something to do on a Tuesday night when the Dollar Theater was still open. And <laughs> went to the Dollar Theater and Paranorman was playing or something. And that's how I saw this movie and became a Leica stan. Hmm. Well, that's sweet. Yeah, it was enough for me to go like, oh, yeah, I should watch that when I was already intending to go watch a movie that day. I just didn't know which one. Hmm. So... What else can we say while we're in the spoiler-free zone about themes? I mean, you just said, talked a little bit about some of the themes that get in there. Is there anything we can add before we go into spoilers for an eight-year-old film? I think we've been talking about this already through the entire discussion, and I think it's a theme of all the Leica movies, but there's definitely in Paranorman a big key theme of subverting expectations. Mm-hmm. And learning to see past the surface level of what's going on and a person to understand deeper why they're doing the things that they're doing and how that makes it a richer relationship with that person for having done so. Hmm. And with that, careful folks, we're going to ruin the spoilers for a eight-year-old film. So... Buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> We're spoiling it. So at the end of this film, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I want, I want to know your reaction since it was your first time. Like, take me on your, your face journey through the movie. Okay. I think, so if we go through expectations of what they're trying to show you, the film opens up with credits for an old horror film and you get some clips from a horror film and these expectations of monsters are scary monsters are brainless um and you see, i love the microphone coming into the boob mic coming in to the actress pushing it away um but you get this idea of this is this is the concept and then you get to see norman for the first time watching a movie with his grandma who's sitting on the couch she's like what's happening now you know tell me about it's like oh yeah she's getting eaten or (laughs) they're they're killing her she's dying it's like oh that's awful like um and then norman gets called to go take the trash out by his by his parents and in there they're asking him what he's doing he's like i'm just talking to grandma and then that's where the answer comes in like grandma's dead you need to stop pretending to talk to grandma. She's dead. And then you get your first realization of, oh, he can, he can talk to dead people. Um, but it's not, it's more of like a family issue problem. In some ways, the family thinks that it's trauma that he just needs to get over. Look, I know you guys were close. You need to get over this trauma. Um, but then we we see that it, it's actually because they're not listening to him or understanding that, no, I have this. This is a thing that I have actually going on. Hmm. It's not a problem that I'm talking to grandma. The problem is you're not listening to me that I can talk to grandma. Like that's <laughs> that's the problem. It's also masterful, which tells you a little bit more about it, where... Uh, It's a shot of Norman walking to school and the street is empty and he's just saying hi to multiple people who aren't there. Like, and we see it from the view of a, an outsider, somebody who's in the neighborhood because here's a kid talking to nobody and he's just walking saying, hello, hello. And then the camera does a nice little spin and a fun little moment. And then we start to see, what he's actually seeing and all the ghosts that are around him. And I'm like, oh, here's this. 
And then it cuts to where he gets closer into the, the main town part and you see humans and he doesn't say hello or good morning to any of them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's, there it is. He's somebody who feels so out of place with other people um, that he's just clams up. Like he's jovial and friendly to all these ghosts, cracking jokes, making making fun with them, enjoying them. And then the second there are actual humans, mouth shut, hands in pockets, looking down, walking straight ahead, um, ready for the torment and gets tormented and bullied. Um, Which any more movies with bullies, I think strike us as a society a little bit like, what's happening? Like, why do we have this character? Why do we have this bully character? Not that we've solved bullying, but I think (laughs) it's interesting to have like a 1980s-esque bully in there. Not to say they don't exist anymore, because I'm sure they do. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's just striking. So for me, I was like, I, I could see that we were on a different journey than the trailers had led me to believe. I thought it was a monster movie and it is, but the monster is lack of empathy. Like that's the monster. Like that's the monster fear and lack of empathy. The monster is in the plot and what's actually happening on screen, but it's not the arc of the movie by any means. Mm -hmm. And even then, I think it's still a nice bait and switch with what the monster actually is. I mean, like universal monster. (laughs) <laughs> because you expect zombies, you do get zombies. Um, but of course, since we're in the spoiler zone, at the end it turns out to be the the girl who was accused of being a witch. And they plant that so early on, they tell you in the movie, like, this is a witch, a witch hunt town. We burnt witches here. And it's still a surprise later on. Like, oh, yeah, they did tell me about witches, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, they're doing a whole school play about the legend of capturing the witch and that she's a terrible person. She's the monster that you should be scared of. Um, And I do think they, they're like mobs, you know, they, here's the mob with pitchforks and the fact that there are kids acting in this play. It's like, this is disturbing. Um, and not in an ironic way. Like this is like a pageant of our town. This is the 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 main witch's curse school play of things that actually happened in our history. You know, um, that's disturbing. And, and it was way ahead of its time in making us as an audience question those things too. Because mm-hmm. I just saw uh, such a bad theater major. I've already forgotten. Um, I just happened to be at the world premiere at Berkeley Rep uh, last year of the new mm. somebody's play. It was someone famous, and I'm totally <laughs> being bad. Was it Sarah Rule? It might have been Sarah Rule. Yes, it was the Sarah Rule play. Uh, Becky, Nurse of Salem, which is basically like the stage play version of paranormal for adults and people go to theater of like hey maybe celebrating witch burning is bad because mm. <laughs> if we're as a society reckoning with um sexism and the disparate disparagement of women throughout our u.s history um let's use that lens and look at witch trials and go oh yeah those were pretty bad. Maybe let's not celebrate that stuff. So what we were really afraid of was women with power, not women with powers. Yes. <laughs> going to put on my, the theater critic hat and go, ha I see what you did there. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Um, We can make fun of it because we both love theater and (laughs) plays. We're loud. We're loud. Yeah. Go see it. (laughs) 
not making fun of Sarah Rule at all. I'm celebrating it. I'm just using it as a reference point culturally of where we are with witch hunts. Or see Paranorman. Like, that's available. I think it's on Netflix now. Go watch it on Netflix, Paranorman. It I'm is. Not, I'm not saying you can't see Sarah Rule, but I'm saying it's still quarantine times and you can't see Sarah Rule right now. So go see Paranorman. And and then when, when we're out of this time, we'll... Uh, see plays again mm-hmm. anyway wow we we diverged a little bit of a way to pull us back slightly but not too far from that point we were making uh one of the most um from a writing perspective and an audience member pers- perspective one of the most joyful um cathartic moments was where you see the the mechanics working you see the writerly work happening and and that ironic change of things where zombies are coming into this town ripping things apart and or you know like scary trying to they're the threat that's the major threat and then Somebody pulls out a shotgun and suddenly they become the scariest thing ever is the human mob of people with guns and blasting blindly. And like, even with the line, like you're not supposed to shoot at, you know, citizens. That's our job as the police. (laughs) Like I was like, Whoa, where are we? Like, slow down. Like, like this is, I can't believe that all this is in here, but I mean, it makes it better that it's said by an African-American woman, policeman, like police officer, I should say, not policeman, but like. It's not a joke I would make just lightheartedly like that today, um, no. but I excuse it because it's a 2012 movie. Right. And while it was present on so many things we're going through right now and seeing ahead and around the corners on all these topics, um, it's allowed to have a lighthearted, please shoot people joke. Yeah. I was like, my goodness, this is, that was, that was bold. But the, the moment where the zombies start being afraid of the human mob, I was like, yes, they are the greater threat. Like something that really exists, um, which is a fearful, angry mob of people with guns looking for I don't know if you could say blood if they're after zombies, but like out to destroy something that they're desperately afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, because as a great person once said that fear leads to anger <laughs> and anger leads to hate. And if you pull that all the way back, like that fear is the main thing that has caused um, trauma. And in my day job, we've talked about this thing that's called um, trauma-informed care, which is where you assume that everybody that you are working with has experienced trauma in their lives. Um, And in working with uh, people with developmental disabilities, the fact that 90% of them or more have experienced some sort of trauma, uh, whether bullying or other kind of abuse, it's like, yeah, you just have to assume that that's the case. Whether it's capital T trauma or lowercase t trauma, no matter how, no matter how big or small that is, that trauma exists and sometimes someone behave someone's behavior which may be violent or lashing out is actually response to or communicating out of that personal trauma i mean that's what we do as humans too to a certain degree like we experience things and we change our behaviors based on them mm-hmm. not just on trauma but trauma certainly is a um, a large rock that gets thrown at us that we have to learn to live with and work around. Hmm. It's a bad metaphor. It doesn't make any sense. 
in when you're playing Tetris against other players, trauma is the wall of unbreakable things that comes down when the other player uh, does a number of things at once. You can't surpass. You just have to try to keep Tetrising beyond the wall of things that has been dealt to you. Sounds more important in my head. (laughs) I mean, I'm following. I'm following. Um, The fact that what, what it comes down to is that in Paranorman, the big reveal is that the zombies are actually trying to fix their mistake and get the witch who is actually like an 11 year old girl who was murdered, mm-hmm. which is dark for. A and they do not, film. there are no punches pulled about that fact. Yeah. They, they, they straight up executed an 11 year old girl um, because she could talk to the dead. Um, just like Norman and saw her ability as being a witch and being scared of that. And they realized their mistake. But every year, someone who's has the ability to talk to the dead, they need that person with the ability that they were originally afraid of to read a bedtime story, to put the witch back to sleep for another year. And that in itself has been a band-aid because it doesn't fix the original trauma. It's just kind of pretending it never existed. Mm-hmm. And so Norman ultimately, when he finally figures out what he has to do, realizes that that's a bad idea. And he himself tries to address the trauma. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he can fix it. I don't think anyone can ever fix past trauma. So I don't want to describe it that way. He can't fix the problem, but he can certainly address the problem. Right. And he doesn't He doesn't get the zombies to apologize because it's not about necessarily her recovery isn't about the people who caused the trauma necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's about her and the actions that she decides to take and she decides to let go of revenge. And she says, you know what I want? I want my mom. And she gives up her revenge so she could be with her mom and actually choose that love of her mother. Now, not saying that there aren't problematic things in there because there's trauma, there's recovery, there's justice, like all those things. Um, There's forgiveness. And it's like, if you're looking at a morality play, which is what you get in the children's school play, it's like, well, what is is justice and what is recovery and what, what should have happened? Are they given justice? Because hundreds of years later, they actually get to fade off and leave um, as zombies and stop terrorizing the world. Um, is there something else darker still there because the world itself is still traumatized from many, many original sins from early, yeah. hundreds of years ago? I'd agree that as present as this movie is with a lot of themes for the next eight years after it, uh, <laughs> and how the world has dealt with those things, um, I think it's definitely interesting to watch today, but I would, if it were made today, I think that they would certainly reframe how some of the things are done and messaged at the end of the film. I still think that they're valuable to a certain degree, but maybe I I wouldn't end the film with like the image of telling the woman to like, let it go. And just it's in the past. And I think you could do the core of that and have the same movie and tweak how it's done slightly. Uh, knowing what we now know in 2020, just about the right. That that puts all the work on the victim. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit... I mean, yes, the, the people who cause the trauma are contrite, but they never, they never go to the victim. And I suppose that should be up to the victim, whether she wants them 
to say anything to them, to her. Um, but I, yeah, it you start once you start scratching at that a little bit, then you start wondering about. Okay, well, is that <laughs> is is that really all? Like, should there be something else? I think media is allowed to age as long as we can keep viewing it in the context of the time that it is from. And mm -hmm. certainly the late 2020s and 2020 itself, it felt like an entirely new lifetime separate from 2012. <laughs> so I think saying eight years ago, it doesn't sound like that much, uh, but uh, for emotional purposes, I think that we can delineate there. Listen, from November 8th to November 4th of 2020 it's like a whole different world too so like and or march 2020 to november 2020 i think i think we could say eight years is a long time since we've lived eight years in the past eight months <laughs> yeah Whew. oh boy i suppose if if anything if the townsfolk uh learned a lesson if Norman's parents learned the lesson, like that's that's healing that's still ongoing. And maybe it's not that the work is done. And this is why maybe I had a, a little bit of a different feeling. Maybe they're not saying the work is done. Maybe they're saying, look, we addressed a massive piece of it but there may be still work that needs to be done day after day to bring people together, to see who people are, to love and respect who that person actually is, and to stop being so darn scared of difference. I think that message is there, and it kind of leaves you on that hopeful note of Norman's dad reaching out and like mm -hmm. asking to talk to his mom through Norman. Um, and accepting that that is who Norman is and the power that he has. And I think that Norman's family and the town collectively see um, what happens hundreds of years after trauma and that their actions right now are leading to that trauma coming to head again. And they see the eventual consequences and go, let's not reach that trauma point. What if we try to pre-heal before the trauma gets unfixable? Mm. And I think that's kind of what we're left with. And you mentioned the idea of seeing through people and loving them who they are. And I think that is in there at the end of the film with what I call the surprise gay. Uh, oh, yeah. Say say a little bit about that. I mean, I think that was so ahead of its time for 2012 still, uh, which is kind of sad that it's 2012 and ahead of its time. Um, but we've talked about many TV shows with LGBTQ representation in the last few years. And sometimes it's revealed at the end of the show. And then in Paranorman, it's just kind of used delightfully to highlight that there's still more work to do and to see through people because you have the dumb jock the entire movie that's been driving them around. And Norman's sister has been trying to like connect with and hit on and he's just not getting it. And finally, at the end of the movie, she's like, let's go see a movie. Let's do this. He goes, oh, yeah, let me tell my boyfriend. He'll love that. And that's the end of like his character and that interaction entirely. It's just like you've perceived him as one stereotype the entire movie because a lot of them are operating inside the stereotype of who they are as a character. Mm -hmm. We've learned to see through that throughout the movie. And he never got that moment. So his moment at the end is like, actually, he's gay. <laughs> and has a healthy relationship with his boyfriend, raising his younger brother, apparently, uh, and has no issues in the town with this or telling people about it. It's not a problem for him to overcome. It's a problem for Norman's sister and everyone else to like overcome that perception of who he is. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's everything, that perception of who people are. What is the definition of witch? What is the definition of zombie? Like, what are your expectations of zombie? Um, what are zombies after? And so with you having watched this um, after the 2020 election, after that the results were announced, tell me about that experience. What did you take from this? Because I feel like we've maybe taken slightly different things. 
Yeah, it it feels like um, I'm. <laughs> this is so silly to say, but having um, and I think pe- previous listeners may may know where we land um, politically speaking, uh, but uh, having a little bit of a the scaliness of cynicism, like come off a little bit, it rings, uh, it rang a little bit more hopeful of, you know, like, oh, well, great. Thank you, kids movie, you know, like whatever. And it was actually able to land on, yeah, it is all fear. We can work together. There is still hope for people. Let's all work (laughs) together. Come on, let's heal. Let's, Let's heal what's happened and make it better. And so it, it was a hope and optimism that I was not expecting to feel. And I think if I had watched it, you know, during Halloween or something, I don't think, I think it would have felt cheap and it would not have felt good. You weren't ready for hope and healing yet. No, no, not at all. <laughs> what about for you as somebody who rewatched it? Before, yeah, before the election even happened, um, I definitely took a lot out of it on my rewatching about mob mentality and the mobs and mm. kind of what drives that in the fear and the life cycle of mob mentality. I don't think that the movie sets out to academically like write a sociology paper about like mob mentality, but I think it it was really interesting to me to watch with the zombies being their own ex mob and the regret that they have. And it's almost like my takeaway was that they know not to ask for forgiveness. I don't think the zombies are ever looking for forgiveness in the movie for what they did. They know what they did was wrong. Um, I don't think they've forgiven themselves, but they don't expect anyone to forgive them. Um, and they're just looking to solve a problem. And um, outside of this podcast, I think for obvious reasons, I've been thinking a lot about post-Nazi Germany. Uh, <laughs> and like, how did how did Germany nail it so that this was not a problem for them again in the next mm, 70 years or so? Um, why is that? And how can we do better in the U.S. to like... <laughs> resolve this problem to acknowledge that it happened and educate people about how we got to that point. And I don't know. Cause there, there are lots of people. I think there's still lots of people alive in the world today. They no longer have these views, but who were for Nazi Germany and supported Nazi Germany um, at the time that it existed. I'm not counting the people who are like Nazi fetishists today or anything like mm-hmm. Forget them. They, they're not in this bulk. I mean, people who are like alive, members of the country of Nazi Germany, like what have their emotions been like after the fall of that? How did they get to the point of healing and realigning with other people? Hmm. And do I don't they, know if the paranormal answers that. No, I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking it to. Um, but it was interesting to see that you never see the portrayal of the bad guy after the movie, essentially. And that's kind of what Paranorman is. The, it's a portrayal of the zombies as the bad guys of their own movie that happened prior to this. Mm-hmm. And then realizing what they did was wrong. So I, I suppose the only thing that Paranorman gives as an answer is it has to be on a personal level. Mm-hmm. It's not a overarching societal change. It's on a person by person, family by family, town by town, community by community level that the healing has to happen. Yeah. I think if you're to try to impose a message for 2020 onto a film that was never intended to have a message for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> It's not on either the left or the right as a whole to reach out to the other and try to heal. It's up to like me, Mackenzie, to reach out to my friends and family members 
and talk to them and to have that healing. And that's how we as a society heal because you can't ask a movement to heal another movement. Mm -hmm. Or one mob, the mob doesn't heal the mob. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who's in that other mob. They're jerks. (laughs) They're brain dead zombies or they're brain dead sheep or they're brain dead whatever. Yeah, the, the zombie metaphor is another like prescient ahead of its time thing that I think people have latched onto in various um, academic ways and uh, just political tool ways. Cause of course, I don't know, I won't go down that dark rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> but yeah, pretending like taking the humanity away from your opponents and like mm. calling people brain dead or sheeple or NPCs or anything like that. Like everyone is human. We are all humans and we can relate to each other that way. Even if we don't like each other, we shouldn't pretend that anyone else is not equal to us. Hmm. Just light fair here on that is good animated. <laughs> Just your basic light fair watching, watching children's family flicks and, We chose this to have like a Halloween episode, post-Halloween, and it's just turned into like our election episode. I will say, though, November is far scarier and stressful and more anxiety-inducing than Halloween was for me this year. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. Good. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that Lyco tried to fix 2020 way back in 2012. <laughs> I appreciate the effort. Yeah, me too. I think that this is a, this movie's a joy to watch, to think about, to look at. Uh, there's so much good happening in Paranorman. Um, everyone I've ever recommended to, it's in the bucket of movies that like, at least when they came out, not many people saw it, but I did. And every time I recommend it to someone, they usually come back and tell me like, that was a really good movie. Um, I've had that experience with Paranorman. I feel the same about not animated, but Michael Clayton. I tell people watch Michael Clayton and I think it gets the respect nowadays that it deserves, but 2004, (laughs) who boy, or eight, 2008. That's when it came out. Hmm. Well, Mackenzie, do you have a favorite thing from Paranorman? I think my favorite thing is just the the culmination of the emotion and the plot at the end of the film uh, when Norman <clears throat> and Aggie kind of go into like the weird lightning tree world thing. Because mm. I think some of that is subtle and some of that is overt and it just meshes together so well. Um, what I definitely got in the second viewing was, oh, they hung her from that tree. That's why that tree is important, uh, which I think is nice and subtle. But it, visually, how they tell the story with the tree is really interesting. Since our podcast is about storytelling, I think that that is really <laughs> nice non-writing visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite thing? I think it's, I mean, there's one which is the storytelling that's done of showing us the major issue that I described at the beginning of um, Norman's walk to school. I think that is my absolute favorite thing, but something that struck a little differently after events from the week was (laughs) uh, the father saying, now I'm as liberal as anybody. And then list, listed off things that were totally non-liberal. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, you that's funny. That's, <laughs> that's really funny. You have no idea what that means, sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I just appreciated that. That was that was just another extra little joke for <laughs> you know, November of twenty twenty. Ah, good times. I mean, the movie, not November 2020. Right, right. Good times. Thank you, Paranorman. Thank you, Laika. 
But speaking of good things in November 2020, should we talk homework time? We shall. That was such a good segue. That was such a good segue. Oh, and I'm so excited to watch a new episode of The Animaniacs. So we are going to talk about The Animaniacs reboot, sequel, continuation. We'll find out when we watch it and you find out when you watch it or when you hear about us talk about it after we've watched it. Either way. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very wacko way of putting it. (laughs) Oh, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it. Um, I remember in high school watching Animaniacs, so... Yes, high school. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to hear about it until (laughs) next time. Until next time. (laughs) Thank you to our engineer, Nigel Cotino, and to Jacob Reed, and the champagne drops for our theme music. You can catch us on the web, which is slightly safer, at WG Animated on Twitter. If you can hang out on Twitter now, um, you can find us on the web, writersgetanimated.com podbean.com for show notes and links and other episodes in our back catalog where we talk about things that you may enjoy. Give a search there. See what's there. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. Congratulations and good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.